You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. This is where I jump in. <laughs> I'll catch it on. I'll catch it on the on the next bar. No, go ahead and jump in. All right, let's do this. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and twenty seconds. We're a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinion, and a pinch of humor. It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. This is episode 301. And I'm Rico Lamit, founder of Cannavision, the dopest dad in these streets, stepping in this morning again for our founder, Susan Soros, who had a recent passing in her family. We all would like to give her all of our love from the bottom of our hearts, period. Please, uh, everybody, keep Susan and her family in, her, in your thoughts today as our team does our best to keep this show going. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday from 9 a.m. Pacific on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to become an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we shall be talking about Thailand selling chicken rice, chicken rice made of chicken feed and uh, chicken fed with cannabis, lawsuit seeking full insurance coverage for behavioral health cannabis usage, Pennsylvania's approach to alcohol versus cannabis that makes no sense, three Missouri medical marijuana companies settle with the state agreeing to divest their licenses, Charlotte has a Hornets player facing felony drug charges after a traffic shot, THC, CBD, and CBN, can cannabis protect the brain from Alzheimer's, uh, cannabis Farm in New Brunswick is looking for volunteer testers for its product. St. Vincent, the Caribbean, uh, where cannabis is the new green and gold, and also Maine, and their legal uh, cannabis stores effectively displacing the illicit market. Can it be? Is the trap finally taking a hit? I don't know. So these stories and much more will be going on today. So, um, audience, please feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on the headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring up bring you up after, on the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you may get the gong. Kicking off the show today is me. Let's get this story going. Let's get this shit popping. Can I get the music? All right, so my story comes from Must Share News independent news for Singaporeans. Thai farmers feed chicken cannabis instead of antibiotics and improves consumer safety. Though its roots trace back to 16th century French King Henry IV, the phrase, a chicken in every pot, was the Republican campaign slogan used most popularly by Herbert Hoover in the late 1920s. Fast forward to 2022, look to Northern Thailand, and you just might see politicians from one of the global cannabis industry's newest players resurrecting and remixing the old adage to pot in every chicken. Blame a wave of avian bronchitis recently hitting northern Thailand's livestock uh, supply, leaving animals suffering from whatever the fuck old McDonald version of COVID is. Antibiotic injections were tried as a remedy to no avail. And it's crazy how other countries utilize the antibiotics as medicine for the ailing livestock while America uses them essentially as growth hormone, but I digress. Probably after reading a few FDA-banned scientific articles about cannabis effectively treating a certain virus I shall not name, Thai farmers decided to take a different path. They fed the chickens weed, and it worked. The farmers say the new unconventional feeding regimen improved both chicken immunity and the quality of meat and eggs. Testing, uh, taking positive results a step further, they now have better tolerance to extreme weather, too. Maybe they just don't care to complain anymore because they're high, but I don't know. Uh, the experiment was conducted in collaboration with Chiang Mai University's Faculty of Agriculture, and while recently the, the world, including Singapore and Malaysia um, especially, uh, have been concerned about chicken supply shortage, CNN blames the shortage on extreme weather. 
uh, COVID-related uh, supply chain issues and Russia's invasion of Ukraine pushing up feed and antibiotic prices. But in the face of uh, such conditions, it's great to see farmers innovating and finding different ways to improve their products. Um, it both helped the, uh, on the economic side because prices on the chicken went up and they're just better overall. So looking forward to hearing from the rest of the team uh, and their thoughts on um, feeding livestock weed and is it better than the traditional uh, methods of feeding them this is rico lamit the dopest dad on the street for state of cannabis news hour what say you news team assemble <laughs> this is so interesting i don't eat chicken because it's foul but what i i would like to know is what oh, part oh, hold on did you say it's, it's foul like f-o-u-l <laughs> or foul f-o-w-l you Either way, it's all the same, Rico. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Jason on this one. Yeah, it's the same at this point. Um, but yeah, so what? Wait, what part of the plant were they fed? Was that specified? It was not specified. Mm. Maybe the the whole plant, or maybe they just gave them seeds. Well, I mean, they only grow hemp out there anyway, so it's not like it's anything strong. It's all blue. Well, you know, vegetables are plants. We eat vegetables. Uh, I love this story, Rico. Thank you so much for doing it. And you mentioned the C word. I, I really believe that Americans and a lot of us are very vulnerable to the COVID virus, despite vaccine, despite boosters, because of the poisonous food we're eating. These antibiotics in, in the livestock and the genetically modified organisms, all this stuff makes for profits for the food industry while it sickens us. It, it, it causes chronic inflammation. It destroys our immune system. So whether you have a vaccine or a booster on board, people are still getting COVID because we're, we're so chronically inflamed and our immune system so depressed or overactive. Cannabis brings everything into homeostasis, into balance and makes us healthier. So I love this story. Good for the Thai people. Awesome. Thanks so much for bringing this story. I think it's great because there's a few reasons. I think, first off, if they're eating hemp uh, and other things, there's tons of high omegas and so many other nutrients uh, in the, the cannabis. No matter what part of the plant they're eating, there's a lot of nutrients. And so I think that's great. I also think if maybe they're able to use, quote, waste to be feeding chickens, I think that's awesome. And chickens are part of the food chain that takes a little less resources overall. So a faster turnaround, less water than beef and other choices. So I think this is really awesome. And I hope that this will make our chickens happier and healthier to continue the health of our food chain. I mean, Liz, do you think you eat any chicken that comes from Thailand? Well, I'll be honest, I don't eat chicken at all, Rico. So uh, no, I definitely would eat, not eat Thai chicken. But hey, you know, no, it might be like the new thing. Like maybe that Thai place that was serving um, the food they said was, quote, tainted. Maybe it was that chicken. Maybe it wasn't chicken. It was just advertised as chicken. The plot thickens when we're talking about chicken. Maybe they're actually feeding these chickens bammer weed instead of even hemp well maybe we should uh release all the boof into livestock into feeding livestock and you know save the world how uh, about that jason I'm, I'm totally totally good with that yeah like boof it, it should be good for something and if it's gonna feed animals that'd be amazing hey there's real research that shows by treating farm animals and other things look at temple grand and by treating them differently there's different hormones released so just saying these might be the chillest chickens ever that's how they get kobe beef liz what would you call the the, the equivalent on the chicken side chickens they get massages and shit i like it chicken massages without taking that step, step that further into ooh. Close on Sundays. Up next, <laughs> he's the industry's longest continuously operating retailer in my version of audio photo negative. He joins me daily. <laughs> As in Detroit, he's White Gucci, West Hollywood, El Presidente, and in the United Kingdom, they all know him as the booth free bloke. Up next, my man, Jason Beck. What you got for us today, my, my brother? Oh, yeah, that's right, Rico. Good morning. This morning, a lawsuit seeks full insurance coverage for behavioral health cannabis use. That's right. I know it sounds tricky, 
but hold on, we're going to go into the weeds a bit. The state's largest licensed cannabis producer has filed a lawsuit that asked the district court to order health insurers to cover the cost of medical cannabis for New Mexico patients who use it for behavioral health conditions. Alter Health President Duke Rodriguez has sued the state over plant counts, purchase limits, and the number of dispensaries his company is allowed to have, but said on Monday his most recent lawsuit is the most significant he or anyone in the industry has filed in the past decade. The basis of the argument is a 2021 New Mexico law which prohibits insurers from requiring or it prohibits insurers from requiring patients to share the cost of medications prescribed for mental or behavioral health needs. It requires the insurance company to cover the entire cost of such medications without a copay. The law took effect in 2022, in addition to seeking a declaration that cannabis should be 100% covered by any company offering insurance in New Mexico as a medically necessary behavioral mental health service. The class action lawsuit seeks damages on behalf of six named plaintiffs and others like them who so far have been covering all the costs of marijuana they take to treat mental health conditions. The complaint filed on Friday in the state district court in Bernalillo County also seeks disagreement of the millions of dollars in excess profits and revenues retained by the defendants via an award of an unspecified amount of punitive damages to be determined by a jury. The six named plaintiffs include (coughs) State Senator Jacob Calderera, Democrat from Albuquerque, and four other medical cannabis patients who, like the lawmaker, use cannabis to treat symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. A Sandoval County father whose child with nonverbal autism was the first, one of the first pediatric patients enrolled in the state's medical cannabis program is also a plaintiff. Rodriguez estimated Monday about 55% of patients enrolled in the state's medical cannabis program, or about 75,000 people, qualify to use medical cannabis, at least in part on the basis of a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Rodriguez said in the state regulation and licensing division has reported medical cannabis sales have been about 17 and a half million per month in recent months, meaning potential damages on behalf of patients could be somewhere in the range of 10 million per month since January. Several major medical insurers are named as defendants in the case, including Blue Cross, Blue Shield of New Mexico, Cigna Health, and Life Insurance Company, True Health New Mexico, Melenia Healthcare of New Mexico, Presbyterian Health Plan, and Presbyterian Insurance Company, and Western Sky Community Care. The, the New Mexican contacted all the defendants, only Presbyterian Health, Western Sky Community Care, and True Health New Mexico responded. All three declined to comment on the pending litigation. And in a quote, they say, the idea of health insurance plans paying for medical cannabis may seem like an impossible dream, but all the fundamental elements have already fallen into place, Rodriguez wrote in a news release announcing the filing of the litigation. Revolutionizing behavioral health care in New Mexico will take only a few small steps rather than a giant leap. Well, I'll tell you what, going up against Big Pharma, they're definitely not going to like this, and I'm pretty sure they're going to put all their money and resources behind it, but I salute the gentleman for coming up with this lawsuit, and I hope it makes some progress for us. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. So that's like Bernalillo County, by the way. The way you should, you should pronounce where it's coming from, Bernalillo. Um, this is cool. I love this. Um, I don't think that the MHPAEA covers non-prescription drugs, but it's a fascinating argument. I, I can't wait. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if um, New York's bill or this bill will see the light of day first. Which one will see the light of day? It's not a bill, Dr. Felicia. It's a lawsuit. Well, you know, lawsuits can initiate laws. So, you know. And and, and Laura, I did actually want to call it Brillo Pad County. (laughs) It is a little rough down there. Yeah. What kind of, Jason, do they say, like, exactly what the behavioral health includes? I saw it includes mental health. You mentioned the autism, but what exactly does that include? It it was written uh, very widely, I think, uh, almost as widely as Prop 215 was written. So basically anyone that wants to claim a mental health disorder um, could be eligible to apply. But that's just my opinion. That is not factual information. So I encourage anyone to do their own research. Well, connecting it to mental health, I mean, you know, 
maybe it'll solve gun violence too. That shit sounds like a pipe dream, Rico. Isn't that what Republicans attribute all gun violence to, mental health issues? Well, maybe weed will stop gun violence too. Yeah, weed is definitely not going to stop gun violence. The only thing that's going to stop gun violence is giving crazy ass fuckers guns. No, you got to eat the chicken that has the weed in it, and that'll stop gun violence. There you go. But, but it's all it's oh, all less God. than 0.3 there THC, so it's not going to translate into the actual meat, Liz. And you trust uh, how the Thai testing, Jason? I don't trust any governmental testing at all, at all, period. Let's keep smoking the news. All right, coming up next, <laughs> she's a political strategist by day and a baker by night. A true female multitasker who can not only bake up a storm, but also knows how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. Taking off the apron this morning, it's Gretchen Gailey. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my headline today um, is actually, it's coming from an op-ed from uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, and I do like to make sure everyone knows that this is just an opinion uh, piece before I speak. Um, and this is coming from uh, David Nathan, who is a psychiatrist um, and an educator at Princeton. Um, we've all heard people talk before many times about how they would like to see uh, cannabis regulated like the alcohol markets. Um, and I'm just taking a portion of what he wrote because um, I would really like to see what people think about this. Um, and he, he kind of, well, he definitely disagrees with this. Uh, he says, people often ask me if cannabis should be regulated like alcohol and tobacco. My answer is an emphatic no. There are numerous problems with how we regulate alcohol and tobacco. Hard seltzer bottles are easily mistaken for non-alcoholic drinks, and cigarette packages don't require labeling of ingredients. We can and must do better with cannabis regulation. Building a regulatory framework from the ground up will set the bar higher for cannabis products, and who knows, perhaps effective regulation of cannabis will serve as a model for improved regulation of alcohol and tobacco. Pennsylvania's choice about legalization is not between an unfettered industry and a mythical drug-free America. It's been 85 years since the U.S. declared cannabis illegal. At this point, we can safely conclude that prohibition didn't work. What's more, alcohol prohibition taught us that, we, that the only thing worse than poor regulation is no regulation. Cannabis consumption is safer than we have historically treated it, but it is not without risk. To address its potential harms, Pennsylvania's best option is to legalize the adult use of marijuana so it can be regulated. Um, I want to open this up to uh, the floor and ask folks what they really think about that argument that um, cannabis should be treated like alcohol. Um, this gentleman, of course, who has a, a medical background, um, earlier in the piece goes into a number of the health risks and things associated um, with alcohol that's quite often overlooked uh, by folks who are against uh, legalizing cannabis. Um, but I think it's just interesting. Pennsylvania has, as usual, um, is behind the ball when it comes to, um, what would you call them, more adult use products. I mean, it wasn't until a few years ago, I mean, we were still buying, you still couldn't buy uh, liquor on Sundays. Um, and so the legalization of adult use is coming very slowly to Pennsylvania. Um, but he is saying that that is absolutely necessary to uh, do adult use so you can start regulating it um, overall. And he believes that cannabis uh, sh should not be done like alcohol because alcohol regulations suck to begin with. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. I just want to say from growing up in Pennsylvania, it's part of my life that this is like alcohol in Pennsylvania is the absolute worst thing. You still cannot buy beer at the same uh, checkout as you can buy your deodorant. You have to go to a separate checkout in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is like one of the worst examples, I think, of, of comparing it. But it's funny that experience. you say that because I always thought it was so amazing that the only way you could buy beer in the past was at the drive up beer distributor. It's like, I can't drink a drive, but we're going to pull up through a pull, you know, a drive-in window and that's how we get our beer. I thought that was just the most bizarre thing in the world. But that's just coming, yeah. coming from the same state that pelts Santa Claus with snowballs at football games. He deserved it. That's another story for another day. Um, but back to this question, should cannabis be regulated like alcohol? Well, what? yeah, one of the other things that, you know, you can't do in the alcohol industry is sell anything on consignment, right, which is something that a lot of the, the cannabis industry 
does on a regular basis, selling things on consignment. So there are, are any number of ways where it, it just doesn't fit into our culture for so numerous reasons. And by the way, you might be able to do a cannabis drive through in New Mexico if it's allowed by the locals. So there is that. You know, as some, I was going to just say, as somebody who's worked in both industries, um, I think there's elements we can take from alcohol and tobacco. But the thing about those two is their vices. They're they're not medicine. Cannabis is is a medicine. And to put it like just with alcohol says to our country and says to the world, hey, this is just another vice when it's not. So it's really sort of a branding thing, but obviously much deeper. So I think to have that cannabis has its own special lane, but we take what we've learned from tobacco and alcohol, what works and doesn't work and apply it, you know, as, as it, you know, as, as it works. If it doesn't work, don't use it. It's not the same at all. No, it's not the same. And I think I, I, there should be some degree of regulation because we have too many people in this country who are just greedy and about the money and put profits over people. People get injured that way. I think it'll be safer for everyone if it's regulated so people can know what they're getting. Well, I think that's a good point. It needs to be regulated somewhat so that the actors and businesses involved aren't engaged in bad behavior. It doesn't need to be regulated because adults can't make good choices for themselves. As the article says, it's far less addictive. Cannabis is far less addictive than alcohol. And he does go on to talk a bit more about the differences between the medical and the adult use market and how it's import. It's so important to regulate things uh, for children. I know we always say, you know, this is not going to harm children. And I would ask Dr. Felicia her thoughts. Um, but he talks about the problems with cognition and motivation and things that children may run into, but those things aren't being addressed well enough because there's no regulation um, really looking at this. Um, but then he also talks about how if it's completely illegal, like where it is in many other states right now, that just makes it seem like the whole product is harmful. You're not getting the medicinal benefits, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, no, no, no young person under the care of a, a medical provider, um, you know, gets addicted, you know, in the, way the, in the way that they do in the uh, adult use market. You know, they have guidance. They, they're using a fuller product with multiple cannabinoids versus just a high THC by itself. So I, I think regulation, again, is going to be safer for everyone. Yeah. Weed is not booze, but, you know, whatever. Although weed is good with booze. Crossfade for the win. <laughs> I do think Pennsylvania's, um, like you said, I mean, it is good to be checking it out at a different register and stuff. Sorry, my frustration with trying to buy like a six pack of beer and at the bar deodorant at the same time came out there. I do think that's good to regulate. You definitely don't want children using any of these products. So it is important that they're paying attention. It just seems like overregulation in Pennsylvania, like way overregulated alcohol, in my opinion. Well, and, and Liz, I, Honestly, I don't think the regulations with alcohol in Pennsylvania have anything to do with why they're not legalizing pot, um, because these are the same idiots who propose putting um, weed into the state stores um, in Pennsylvania because they're trying to make a buck on it. So I just think our legislators in Pennsylvania are much morons um, and have no idea where they're beginning. That's my frustration. But I'm totally with you, Gretchen, on that. Total morons. And then we got Dr. Oz coming on board. Dr. Oz is going to be the champion of Pennsylvania. Lordy. Scares the hell out of me. I hope Fetterman uh, gets out of his stroke sometime soon because the man has still not made an appearance since uh, Election Day. That's not not a good sign. Fetterman has taken a page out of Joe Biden's playbook. Just hiding in the basement till Election Day? Exactly. Exactly right. Hold on. Hold on. Wasn't it Donald Trump that was hiding in the basement? Trump was never hiding in a basement, bro. Get basement boy. Out of here. You know that that's basement not even boy. in his personality traits. Cut it out, bro. Trump was out and about contracting COVID right before exactly. the election. Exactly. Trump was out, out in the beach, rolling around, kissing babies, fucking doing his it, thing. It, 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 you know what? And he was saved by Dr. Oz. Let's keep it moving here. This badass San Francisco-based cannon mom has the voice of an angel and a list of titles longer than your last CVS receipt. The co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, founder of San Fran Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project, here to break us off with a little sonic relaxation, it's Lara DeCaro. What you got for us today, Lara? 
Oh, thanks so much for that, Rico. Well, first I want to say um, sending love and good vibes to Susan on, on this solemn day. Um, we love you. Thank you so much for putting this together. Um, it's an amazing group of people that I can't imagine my life being without anymore. Um, but then I'm going to pivot. I'm going to say happy Flag Day, all y'all. We haven't yet acknowledged that today is the day where Woodrow Wilson dedicated, um, you know, uh, June 14th as Flag Day. And he said, on that day, rededicate ourselves to the nation, one and inseparable from which every thought that is not worthy of our father's first vows in independence, liberty and right shall be excluded and in which we shall stand with united hearts. Take that for what you want with a lot of privilege. He said it, but I do. I love the words. I think, you know, we can we can think on that today um, as we as we move through a really turbulent time, especially with uh, the hearings going on in D.C. But I actually do have something related to cannabis today. If you want to hear about it, not at all related to um, the United States. I want to move over to Germany, um, as reported by Susan in early May, the Germans decided to fast track, fast -track cannabis laws. And as reported by Guy on June 4th, the, the conservative Bavarian representative and a cardiologist came out in support of this act. Um, and I just came back from a conference in DC where lawyers from Germany and Switzerland were super excited about the prospects of German legalization because of the potential size of their market. And when I, they said this to me, I thought, wait, but Germany like isn't that big, is it really? Um, and then I, then I came home to this blog post by Johnny Green of the business and policy blogs for ICBC, which explains some things to me. It's entitled Germany moving forward with legal cannabis sales plan. Now, I mean, it's for ICBC and they are trying to sell seats at their Berlin conference, but I thought that it clearly laid out what is going on over there. So I kind of looked around and Kyle Yeager also did an article for it in Marijuana Moment, June 13th as well. So in an underscore to Susan's May article on fast-tracking, Germany's health ministry apparently announced on the 13th that it would start holding hearings on the 14th, the very next day, obviously, to discuss the various aspects of uh, legalizing cannabis sales for adult use nationwide. According to Mr. Jaeger's article, personal possession of marijuana is currently decriminalized in Germany and there is a medicinal cannabis program in place. But as of right now, according to the ICBC blog, only one country, Canada, allows for legal adult use sales nationwide to anyone of legal age, regardless of citizenship. Uruguay also has legalized cannabis for adult use, but sales are limited to citizens. And Malta passed legalization measures, but the current legalization model doesn't actually permit sales. So Germany is home, apparently, to the fourth largest economy on Earth. And its population is more than twice the size of Canada, despite its size. So Germany, if they move quickly, they're going to be like uh, a, 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 an island of access surrounded by some restrictive, air, uh, restrictive laws on the continent. Um, so the hearings um, are set to involve hundreds of representatives from various backgrounds, including representatives from the medical and legal fields, and including health and consumer protection, youth prevention and protection, supply chains and economic and ecological considerations, penalties and licensing regulations, and international experiences. So much of what will be discussed apparently revolves around quality control, limiting youth access, and there will be five hearings overall. Um, pursuant to Marijuana Moment, an official FAQ about the government's legalization plan said that, quote, the specialist knowledge required for the implementation of the project is to be bundled and supplemented by the experiences of other countries. And also that the process is, quote, about creating a space in which objections and reservations can be openly addressed and discussed. I like the, um, the way that they're approaching these hearings. They're open to alternative points of view. They want to hear all points of view. They're trying to have peaceful and respectful discourse on this topic. Um, and in a country where recent polls says that over 50% of Germans support this legalization measure, I think that is the appropriate way to approach it. My name is Laura DeCarlo, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'd love to hear if any of you have any thoughts on that. I'm real, real hyped about this. You know, I, I lived in Bavaria for five years, in Munich for three years, Augsburg for two when I was young growing up, and I can't wait to make my return get high as fuck. But I'd also like to point back to my story from two weeks ago. Heidi Klum is the reason why Germany is legalizing right now, and it's all funded by Snoop Dogg. Follow the money. She sailed a thousand ships, right?
How much how, how much money does Snoop Dogg put into that initiative, Rico? Well, him and uh, Casa Verde um, are pretty much building the uh, the Amazon of weed in Germany and uh, monopolizing the uh, the distribution channels out there. I love it. And, uh, I mean, how are you, you yeah. going to monopolize? Because all, all their weed is all going to be sold through the pharmacies out there in Germany. So how are they monopolizing all the pharmacies? Uh, because they're taking all uh they're the only ones that um can i believe it's like they, they're the only ones that can can distribute seeds uh can distribute clones um and they have all the all of the contracts and they have pretty much no competition in their line i, I, I don't i don't think yeah, that's actually like true that's gonna change that no that, no that is jason true. the rico's point yes it's a number of the large mso's have worked on getting these licenses specific to the pharmacies so their product is the one that's in there um and it People on uh, Clubhouse can't see my eye roll um, on our back channel, uh, but to suggest that this is all Heidi Klum's doing is kind of, that's a, I don't know. Maybe. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, follow, follow the money. Snoop Dogg did that trash ass song with Heidi Klum about like, like three months ago. Next thing you know, she is Certainly out there lobbying for legal cannabis. A lot longer than Heidi yeah. Klum and Snoop and I don't know. Yeah. The, liberal, I don't know. the liberals and the greens out there have been fighting for this since like 2016, maybe probably sooner or I mean, earlier than that. But yeah, no, I agree with Gretchen. It's, it's, she may be a, a face from making things move forward. You know, but that's kind of a problem with our celebrity endorsement culture. Uh, it's not her. It wasn't her work that actually accomplished this. Um, I, I applaud her efforts, but it wasn't her work. That was, um, it was mostly tongue in cheek, just so y'all know. I don't yeah. really uh, believe no, that. No, we know. We know. We know. <laughs> but you know what's so funny? But, but it doesn't look like what they're talking about is going to shift the pharmaceutical model. It sounds like it's going to stay in the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical or pharmacy lane. Um, so those will still remain the, the points of sale. And th through pharmacies is how the average American got cannabis um, in, the early, in the late 1800s in America. That's, they got it through the pharmacies, basically. And, and my, my article, the, the story I'm going to cover next, is going to talk about, um, you know, St. Vincent and the Grenadines is um, shipping its cannabis to Germany's medical programming for research. So if they're going to be distributing it through a pharmacy and distributing it like medicine, that be, and they're backing up research, they're paying for research to be done on the plant, I support that. I don't know, Gretchen. I, I would have never guessed that that emoji was the eye roll. Just saying. Are you kidding me? That's a good emoji eye roll. I, I, I think we need to have an animated emoji where the eyes actually roll, then it would have been very clear that that was what it was. I'm a I'm a pen and paper kind of gal. That's a little too advanced for me. Let's keep smoking. All on. right, we'll we'll coming up. Your daily dose. Often opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Now let's keep smoking the news. Are you ready to smoke this news, Rico? Oh, that's it. Because coming up next... Our newest addition to the team is coming to the stage next. She's a cannabis patient, a plant medicine advocate, and Roz McCarthy's right-hand woman on the best coast on the planet for M4MM. Also the founder of Purple Plant Magic, national brand ambassador for Black Buddha Cannabis, and the Encyclopedia on Power 88 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Every Wednesday morning, it's none other than Nicole... Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Jason, for that great intro. Um, sending lots of love to Susan and her family. Um, we we love you so much here. Thank you for providing this amazing platform. My uh, article is coming out of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. The title is St. Vincent Cannabis, the New Green Gold. Um, by Loop News, St. Vincent the Grenadines is strategically positioning itself to take the lead in creating a modern medicinal wellness industry. Minister of Agriculture Sabato Caesar said, we have been approached by several investors globally to begin the process to roll out a psychedelics industry, which will be a fundamental pillar of the modern medicinal wellness industry. 
The agricultural minister pointed out that consultations are ongoing with regard to the legal scientific as well as medicinal framework, which will inform this thrust. Caesar said the significant progress made by farmers, traditional cultivators, investors, and the medicinal cannabis authority is impressive considering the challenges of the past two years. You know, they had a, um, a volcano erupt there, hurricanes. It's been rough on the cannabis industry in the on the island. A delegation led by Minister of Commerce of St. Lucia was recently in St. Vincent and visited cannabis farms. Minister, The minister said St. Vincent and the Grenadines has led the way in the cannabis industry and she was rather impressed by the work of the MCA um, and the products being developed. When I look at the end products, especially the lotions, to me, we see that as a market that you can capitalize on. That's right. The minister said that as St. Lucia explores its own industry, they would collaborate with their Vincentian counterparts. We can use the technical team that you have, the labs that you have, the procedures you have developed and see how we can merge that with international standards. Um, just a quick history recap. Parliament in December of 2018 passed two acts, one which established a medical cannabis industry in SVG and the other which offers amnesty for traditional marijuana growers. They also decriminalized up to two ounces or less of the drug with no incarceration. Instead, they will be fined a maximum of $500. These provisions were among several amendments that were made to the Drugs Prevention of Misuse Amendment Act in 2018, making SVG the first island in the OECS, Organization of East Caribbean States, to do so. Vincentians get to smoke the herb in the privacy of their homes and in places of worship of the Rastafarian faith without punishment. The amendment also said that the minister may de designate a list of public areas where the smoking of cannabis may be allowed. The Vincentian Parliament passed legislation to protect the intellectual property of breeders of new plant varieties in SVG. The Plant Breeders Protection Bill of 2019, the first of its kind. St. Vincent is the most prolific producer of cannabis in the Caribbean other than Jamaica. January of this year, the government at SVG announced that the island would export its first shipment of medical cannabis to Europe. And I think that the SVG has the right idea. Unlike Jamaica, do not sell your genetics to anyone. You grow it on the island and ship it out. The land race genetics that have been locked away for decades being put on the stage in a big way. That is how you create a valuable commodity that will increase your GDP. And this is being used for medical research in Germany. So it's not a matter of booth weed. It's a matter of what disease will it cure. This is Nicole Buffon with the State of Cannabis News Hour. would love to hear your thoughts. I love this story, Nicole. That's awesome. Thank you. And and that's a great point, too, that um, I've traveled extensively in the Caribbean and also in the Pacific, where there's a lot, so many islands that are scattered about. And they have these amazing land races that have just been sitting there, not decked like centuries. So it's it's incredible. I think they're going to find little gems there. And um, great for the people of St. Vincent that are maintaining that that legacy and protecting that IP. Agreed. I was so surprised when I did the research for this article and found that they had created this legislation that protects seed genetics. I think it's brilliant. Um, every island should be doing it and every island should be focusing on what their land race genetics are because that's going to where they're going to be able to capitalize and ship it. And it's a world market out there because what you can lamb's breath does not grow the same in Canada. I don't care if, can, if Jamaica sold its genetics there. It's not going to be the same plant. It's not going to be the same herb. Um, so growing it on the island is important and then allowing it to um, to get research done all over the world and shipping it to all over the world. I think that's how you create a sustainable marketplace for these Caribbean islands. And I agree with you, Nicole, to keep keep the genetics. And I just hope that some of the money that's being generated from this industry comes back to the people to help build roads and improve education and, and help the people and not just extract it to Europe or Canada. Agree, Dr. Felicia. I agree entirely. And great point, Nicole, about, you know, all these, the other cannabinoids and other things like we're seeing. And then the terroir, really, the terroir has a lot of value, too. So hopefully they will be able to retain some of this money, Dr. Felicia. It's a great point. In, in Africa as well. Africa especially. I'm, I'm working on yes. it. Yes, indeed. Now let's keep, let's go on to our next story. She is a educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. And when you're talking about this news shit, she don't care about your feelings. Just bring the facts. Up next, Liz Rogan. What you got for us? Thank you, Rico. And greetings, everyone. Happy Talk About It Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in with us today. 
My story comes from Marijuana Moment by Kyle Yeager. The headline reads, Maine's legal marijuana stores are effectively displacing the illicit market, the state report finds. So we're going to switch marijuana to cannabis in this story. So on Monday, Maine's Office of Cannabis Policy, the OCP, released the results of their first market analysis. The report was produced by Advocates for Human Potential, which is an advocacy group that seems to be pretty non-biased and based on the feedback from over 2,000 Maine residents. One of the main takeaways is uh, what when there is access to licensed cannabis retailers, 64% of respondents said they would choose licensed over unlicensed. The OCP said, quote, the current illicit market has diminished more than expected compared to other state cannabis programs. They say we found an estimated overall shift in the regulated market between January 2021 and November, uh, December of 2021 of approximately 12%. So they said, kind of interesting, they found that people who prioritize their source of cannabis highly, so those who really care about where it came from and those who are younger are more likely to use the adult use stores for cannabis. And so it's really interesting to see that the, they say that the reports in this, uh, the findings report to point to policies and practices that promote pr and preserve public health and safety while allowing legal businesses to compete, says OCP Director Eric Gunderson. They're, they're kind of taking a lot of credit saying these are our programs that have done a great job and that they strive to be a model of good governance for the cannabis industry. And they also say they hope that other states will look at them because uh, compared to California and a lot of other states, if you look at the graphs in this article, you'll see that Maine is really ahead of the game. So a geographical analysis survey kind of was interesting. It showed that people based on zip codes further away from the cannabis market were more likely to seek out, uh, you know, illicit cannabis and that people also the main source of people's uh, purchasing their cannabis was free or from family members. A dealer was a lot lower in that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, what exactly do you call a dealer? But uh, another thing to note is a um, people who purchased their cannabis from licensed stores were no more likely to have a cannabis use disorder or drive while impaired. And another recent study found that people in states where cannabis is legal are less likely to report driving under the influence. And the authors in this study say that's probably related to public education and labeling requirements. But Dr. Michael Sophis, who is a principal investigator of the study, said, quote, make no mistake, the findings of this report show that the implementation of the adult use market in the state of Maine may be considered an achievement in both public health and cannabis policy, end quote. We can see in California, Governor Newsom uh, in, unveiled his updated budget proposals, getting trying to get rid of um, our state cultivation tax and uh, and also the tax revenue allocations, trying to like, you know, really put a put this out the uh, stamp on the illicit market. But and then the study in 2020, the California did uh, showed that the local bans are helping the illicit market thrive and the tax is losing a huge amount of uh, tax revenue from this. And so as more states move forward, um, the demand for illicit cannabis from uh, out of this nation continues to drop. So this will be interesting. I'd love to hear what people have to say about this. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis NewsHour. Liz, when I was reading your story, I was wondering, are the people in Maine, do they have a higher median income versus other places for them to choose the legal market over the uh, legacy market? Or what's, what's the um, deal? Absolutely not. For the most part, Maine is pretty poor. Uh, the lower part of the state is, you know, where you have like the bushes and some beaches and some residences that are high class. But really, when you move up in the majority of the state, it's a pretty poor state. So this is interesting to me. I wonder what the prices are. With articles like this, I just feel like trappers are going to read this and start flocking to Maine because they're going to see a major opportunity for major cash flow. Dude, I was going to say the same fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> the same exact thing. It just made themselves a target. The uh, in Maine, the barrier to entry to get into the market is lower. You can effectively create products for the medical market through uh, like an additional dwelling unit or uh, a garage that is a separate uh, has a separate entrance to your home or is completely separate from your home. So it is easier and cheaper to participate in the legal market in Maine. So their prices must be less expensive. 
Well, of course, every Trapper's commercial is, it's the same weed, just no taxes. Well, Maine has always been kind of cannabis forward. They're definitely not okay with alcohol. Um, but for cannabis, when I went to college there, it was a $100, I think, fee for if you got caught with like an ounce of cannabis or more. So there really haven't been very hard on cannabis overall. I mean, what else is there to do in Maine? They lobster. They, they, lobster. They, 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 yeah, it's they lobster. get lobsters. The lobster's the best. Yeah, I love it. They'll bomb. put lobster on like pancakes, whatever you want. It's so good. Yeah, well, I, I'll leave that to y'all because I have gout and I can't do shellfish. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. Who's next? You're, you're missing out, Rico. Coming up next, this beard was born and bred in New York. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence because, baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores. This intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruits Labs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you got for us today? Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me today. My headline comes from MJ Biz Daily. It's Missouri Medical Marijuana Companies Settle with State agree to divest licenses. According to the St. Louis Dispatch, three licensed medical marijuana companies in Missouri have agreed to surrender their business licenses they hold as part of their settlement with state regulators. The licensees include three cultivation permits and one manufacturing license. Archimedes Medical Holdings and FUJM and Holistic Health Capital got into hot water when they were accused of rules violations, including amongst them the infamous trap door, unexplained power outages of security cam cameras at an MMJ cultivation site, along with allegations of pesticide use by growers and other claims. All three companies are located near Perryville, south of St. Louis and near the Illinois border. The settlement ends the state's investigation into the allegations and includes a divestiture agreement. The owners signed on to the eight-page agreement with Missouri's regulators to transfer operational control of their businesses to a third party before the end of the month, and then either sell their permits or relinquish them to the state before the end of November. If the licensees fail to submit a change of ownership or transfer of license change requests to the department, their license will be surrendered to the department on December 1st, 2022. The approval of the change of ownership or transfer is contingent upon the licensees divesting themselves of all product in their possession. The agreement is not an admission of guilt by the companies or their employers or their employees, but the owners are barred from future license ownership in Missouri under the terms of the agreement. Archimedes had, been previ had previously been sued in connection with trafficking product to the state of Kansas. They had a brand name product called Soul House. And interestingly, Blonnie Dudney, Dudney, who signed on behalf of both FUJM and Holistic Health Capital, as well as another signatory, were donors to Governor Mike Parson's Political Action Committee in 2019. There wasn't too much else in this article. It was relatively brief, but the interesting juice is three separate businesses are giving up their licenses to the state of Missouri because they were caught in an act of moving product through the back door. But none of them are admitting guilt. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Brandon, what were the three companies again that that, uh, that are giving up their licenses? Uh, it's Archimedes Medical Holdings, FUJM, and Holistic Health Capital. I wonder what FUJM stands for. Oh my God, I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm like, who's JM? And why do they... Why do they say FU in front of it, huh? <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. Fuck you, just milk. <laughs> What? Do you guys think this is um, like a precedent-setting case or anything? Well, it's, it's not a precedent-setting uh, case, but I do find it extremely interesting that the state isn't going to go after prosecuting them as long as they turn in, turn over their licenses. Yeah, yeah, I've, I actually support that in a way. I mean, I do, you know, as long as we continue to decriminalize activity, I, I do kind of support it. I mean, I mean, the, the real question is, do they did keep all of their um, computer information, all of their data, um, all of their 
patient information because that they're easily just turn into a trap brand easily and they got all that information for an amazing client base. I can dig it. Let's let's keep it moving because we are we're running short on time. This fifth generation California is an award winning journalist, brand building, content ninja, freedom fighting farmer's friend, never afraid to hit us with the hard hitting truth. Mainstream media outlets refuse to. Up next, Eric Hiss Laredo. What you got for today? Hey Rico. Uh, hey everybody. Great to be here today. My headline is from the medical journal Being Patient, and it's Sock Institute neurobiologist Zibin Liang discusses the neuroprotective effects of cannabis compound known as cannabinol and the road ahead to validate and build on the research of his team's recent findings. That's a mouthful. Uh, scientists have been exploring the therapeutic effects of medical cannabis for a host of health conditions, including the neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Among the many compounds of cannabis, the best known are cannabidiol and tetra hydrocannabinol, uh, THC, which have received the bulk of the research community's attention. However, lesser-known compounds, such as cannabinol, CBN, are also making their way into research. Early study results suggest that CBN, for example, may be able to help protect the brain cells in aging and neurodegenerative diseases. So this set up like a Q&A, so I'm just going to follow that format. So the journal asks, what do scientists know and don't know about the potential protective effects of cannabis in the context of aging and neurodegenerative diseases? Uh, Dr. Lang says, medical cannabis is an emerging research field. Phytocannabinoids from the cannabis plant are well known for acting on the cannabinoid receptors, CB1 and CB2, in the brain, in the central nervous system, and in the peripheral nervous systems. It is well known that this kind, these kinds of compounds, especially tetrahydrocannabinol THC, this psychoactive compound, have pharmacological effects. For example, they can relieve pain. Some research shows they can fight cancer and improve memory or behavior. There's also some research showing that neurological disorders can benefit from phytocannabinoids. In Alzheimer's research, there, there's some research showing that cannabis plants ex, uh, extracts and also THC or CBD can improve memory and can reduce amyloid plaque in mice and some limited clinical trials. But this class of study for cannabinoids is not comprehensive. It is a new area for medical cannabis research. Uh, question, why has your team focused on the less studied compound of cannabinol, CBN? Dr. Lang, there are other non-psychoactive phytocannabinoids that will be beneficial. And, but what are their potential mechanisms for the benefit for Alzheimer's patients? That is what inspired our research. We want to study the lesser minor phytocannabinoids, so we focused on CBN. We can clarify that what's the difference between CBN, THC, and CBD besides the mechanisms of action. They are structurally very similar, but CBN is a degraded product of THC. It's mostly found in very aged cannabis plants. CBN is no longer psychoactive compared to THC, so we think this compound could be a new candidate for us to explore the beneficial effects of cannabinoids. Uh, the journal asks, can you sum up the most significant findings from your team's recent study? Uh, Dr. Liang, one part of aging is your brain's uh, energy decrease. Energy metabolism is produced from the mitochondria. Our initial idea is whether any compound will help the mitochondria function, which can help the Alzheimer's patients and people with other neurodegenerative diseases. We found that CBN directly targets mitochondria, so the compound definitely interacts with mitochondria and maintains its function. It can reduce oxidative stress in brain cells and can modulate energy metabolisms, increasing ATP, adenosine triphosphate, uh, production in brain cells without affecting the CB1, CB2 receptors, the classical cannabinoid receptor pathway. Now we are testing CBN in the preclinical model, so we're using mice models of Alzheimer's aging to reproduce the effects and see how CBN works in the animal model. A couple of things we are focusing on with animal study include the safety profile, the pharmacokinetic profile, and also the efficacy. So it's a deep dive, but a good um, to see serious research underway at a prestigious institution looking at new areas like the minor cannabinoids. The other lesson here is hang on to that old weed up in your cupboard. You have a treasure trove of CBN and maybe the next big cure. And that's what I've got for today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up. Eric, I just want to uh, thank you for sharing this. Uh, Alzheimer's is something that runs in my family, um, and I know it's of major concern. Um, and my mom, she actually, she's she's early 70s, but at some point started having some issues in the morning, just not sure, you know, where she was, and, you know, took her a few minutes to get it together. Um, and I started putting her on a tincture that a friend of mine recommended, 
And literally within a week, she was waking up clear as a bell, no issues. Um, so I'm hopeful that more research will be done in this space um, and can really help so people understand how cannabis can be beneficial for the brain. Yeah, at least someone's looking at CBN, somebody. Yeah, I think it's really an important field. And these these um, non-psychoactive cannabinoids like, um, you know, or lessers like CBN that I think pe some people are so afraid of that aspect of the plant, but getting that through the science pipeline to maybe people like your mom who may be hesitant, I think it's just a, a great, you know, opportunity for expansion and people un better understanding the plant. I think this is a great story. Thanks for highlighting it, Eric. I know from working with elder care and other things that you can really see huge differences in how this helps people with just from basic relaxation. We know how it helps the brain, not only from seeing that with, um, you know, neurogenerative um, things with people who've had brain injuries and things. And then also the population that has dementia and Alzheimer's is usually older. So it's a lot more accepted there where for younger contingents, it's hard. There's issues with brains uh, growing and all that stuff. So I hope they continue to highlight this. And because obviously as people live longer, dementia is a big thing too. And African-Americans are overrepresented in terms of the victims of Alzheimer's. It is, there is a genetic component, but overall they think it's due to chronic inflammation. Again, the importance of eating organically and minimizing sources of inflammation would go a long way in helping you to make the most of your genetics. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Jason, you want to uh, call out our oh, last question? yeah. Coming up next, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. Not to mention, she's also the newest member of the Sinead O'Connor fan club. Coming next to the stage, it's the founder of Cannabis Blog and Podcast, Shall We Tote? It's none other than Shalina Panu. Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Charlotte Hornets Montrezl Harrell Facing Felony Cannabis Charges in Kentucky. As first reported by the Charlotte Observer, Charlotte Hornets player Montrezl Harrell received a traffic citation on the morning of May 12th after a Kentucky state trooper pulled Harrell over on the I-75 southbound for following the vehicle in front of him too closely. As a result of the traffic stop, trooper Jesse Owen states he observed odor of cannabis coming from Harrell's rental vehicle, he was driving, which was a silver 2020 Honda Pilot. Charlotte Observer didn't attach the actual police records or reports to the article, but according to Benzinga, Trooper Owen states that Harrell admitted to having possession of marijuana and produced a small amount from his sweatpants. The trooper would argue he now has probable cause that the vehicle contains illegal contraband. As such, he then did a search of the rental car and found three pounds of marijuana in vacuum-sealed bags in the back seat. Keep in mind that this occurred in Kentucky. Kentucky is one of the few states left that has classified cannabis as fully illegal. Legal. According to normal, possession of eight ounces or more of marijuana shall be prima facie evidence that the person possessed the marijuana with the intent to sell or transfer it. They go on to state that the sale of trafficking of less than five pounds is a class D felony, which is punishable for a first offense by one to five years imprisonment and a fine of one thousand to ten thousand dollars. Harrell had an arraignment scheduled for this past Monday morning, but it was continued until July 13. Kentucky is slowly moving towards normalizing cannabis. However, it seems like a long ways to go. As reported by Marijuana Moment back in March of this year, Kentucky House of Representatives passed a bill to legalize medical cannabis, to which the decision then headed to the Senate for their decision. There has not been movement since much been much movement since then. My name is Shlena, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Montreal, man. Don't fuck around in the southern states and get caught. I, I just love when professional athletes or trappers, I mean, they're the best customers because they have plenty of money. Go on. They're the best customers. They have plenty of money. They can always afford whatever the price is. Oh, my God. I remember uh, getting paid in like ones, one of my delivery service drivers from like like over 100 ones from them coming back from a strip club with extra money. <laughs> I would tell them to take that money back and go get me a $100 bill. Yeah, it's heartbreaking that this guy's going to probably be doing time or something for something like that. It's just effed up. Yeah, well, the, the, honestly, looking at whether or not driving while black was a factor in this whole situation um, is more likely, um, to be honest. Yeah, because who pulls over a Honda Pilot, <laughs> right? Exactly. Also at 10 a.m. It wasn't like an uh, evening. Did he have a burnt out taillight? 
Probably no, did. So we have reached we have reached the not. top of the hour. Oh. All right, guys, we have reached the top of the hour, and that was a great show. And if anybody in the audience missed any of it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to everybody pitching in today, and big, 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 the biggest love, hugs, kisses, and all of that out to our boss lady. Susan stories as she's dealing with a little bit of grief in the family. Please, please send your w- uh, wishes, um, your love out her way because she definitely needs it this week. Uh, big thank you to everybody and uh, Jason, my co-host, and all the uh, co-producers behind the scenes too. Our pinup girls, Jaja, Simone Brown, and Liz Rogan. Thank the audience. Thank you, audience, for being an important part of the show. You've all had your daily dose. Now get out there and make a difference. Drop that beat. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that's one. Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it. Today, with the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.